0: We're all about worthy causes, and so today's shout-out is for Body Positive Incorporated, a group founded by and run for people with HIV and AIDS. They provide an invaluable range of services and support for all people living with HIV and AIDS in New Zealand, including free rapid testing, a sexual health clinic, a drop-in centre, peer support networks, plus loads more. Check them out at bodypositive.org.nz. They are Mark's shout-out of choice today. Sex, the final
1: frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space where quality podcasts are found.
2: Hello, I am Jess.
0: Hello, and I'm Tim.
2: And welcome to Sex and Space. So this is our mega-project that explores sex across all of its infinite dimensions.
0: Yes, all of them. Uh, it's also designed to turn the awkward into the straightforward and have heaps of fun while we're at it. Today we'll be playing an interview for you that Jess and I had with uh, Mark Fisher, who is an international and now local leader in the HIV sector. Uh, he heads Body Positive, which is an organisation committed to advancing the care and quality of life for people living with HIV in Aotearoa. Um He's also worked closely with Women Positive and the NZ AIDS Foundation uh, to set up the world's first ever, this is insanely amazing, HIV Positive Sperm Bank. Um, which we'll talk heaps more about with us today um, And some of the ongoing stigma that still surrounds the HIV positive community It was a cracker, he's super informative um, He's like a fountain of knowledge uh, <laughs> And amazingly experienced and super nice So um, yeah, enjoy this one And now, the interview.
3: Mark. Hello.
2: What's up? How are you
3: doing? I'm good.
4: Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to
2: have you here. Yeah. So the the HIV positive sperm bank just always like turns my brain in little revolutions. Yeah. How did you come to doing what you're doing now?
4: Uh, With HIV or with the sperm bank? With HIV? HIV, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been involved in HIV since around 92. Like a really long time ago, Um, and that back in the day, we it was just that was kind of when HIV was hitting pretty hard into the gay community, and and being a gay man, I thought it was good to get involved and make a difference. So I kind of switched into that career trajectory, and then have been involved ever since then. Mm. Yeah, so at all kinds of different levels, and always trying to make change. And we still haven't won the war as such with HIV, so but we're making lots and lots of progress, which is cool yeah
2: awesome what, yeah. what war
4: um, basically eliminating HIV from tr- transmission so we get rid of it finding a cure so that HIV doesn't exist anymore uh, eliminating mm. all the stigma that comes with living with HIV mm. you know it's just it's it shouldn't be the way that it is in terms of if you pick up a disease or a virus that you get treated the way people get treated when they're living with HIV
2: mm. yeah so yeah. you're um, so currently just I'm still trying to get a sense of like all of the different um, medications and options going on so currently there's no cure for HIV there's only treatment options which yeah. mean that you can continue to live with it is that right Yeah
4: so okay. the treatment options nowadays is that you start immediately as soon as you get diagnosed, which is great because they used to wait they'd make you wait until your immune system had been compromised by the virus because the medications were toxic and nasty. So you didn't want to start them until you absolutely had to. So that was in the mm. past. And then around two years ago, we the rules were changed so you could start immediately. And that's where you start the day of diagnosis. now. You take a pill or a couple of pills a day for the rest of your life, essentially. Um, but you live a long and healthy life because it controls the virus so that you're you know, it doesn't affect your immune system, but you still have to take the medication all the time. And if you stop taking the medication, the virus will come back because it hides out in reservoirs in your lymph nodes and things like that. So well, while it's controlled, it's all kind of dormant and waiting for you to stop taking the meds, essentially, so cool. it could come back and. Okay. Yeah, so is appear. that
0: when I've heard the term sort of un, undetectable? Yeah. Uh, is that that's sort of how it's described? Is it when you're on that medication mm. so and it's yeah. sort of just kept at, at a at bay so to speak but it's not it hasn't gone like you said yeah
4: so yeah. so essentially what the meds do is they stop the virus from replicating so, okay. so you may when you get infected with the HIV it replicates fairly quickly um, the virus the medications stop it from doing that and so then what happens is you have really low levels of virus hiding out in the lymph nodes or other kind of reservoirs um, and so we can't pick it up in your blood through lab testing and so at that point your the num the amount of virus in your blood is undetectable as such, and so yeah. at that point, you can't pass on HIV to sexual partners. Yeah. Oh, okay,
2: and that medication is antiretroviral yeah. medication. Yeah, I did my research. Yeah. I, re- I learned the word <laughs> antiretroviral. I'm yeah. throwing it around. Um, and you're saying that the the side effects of that are, are much lower than or, or
4: they're, yeah, they're much better now. So back in the 80s, um, they didn't really know how the meds worked. So they would give you really high dosages of it so to the point where it was toxic. And that's where you'd see all the um, side effects that people had, like the sunken skin and all those kinds of the uh, facial hyperatrophy and stuff like that, where the fat gets moves around um, and lots of other issues around uh Kind of peripheral neuropathy, which is a, a condition where the nerves get heightened in your feet and things like that. So you get all these other conditions, which are side effects of the drugs and not side effects of the the disease, right, or the virus. Mm. And so it was uh, people would weigh up their choices: do I want the side effects, or do I want to just kind of go along and see how I can go without taking the meds? And so that's where mm. people start doing all these other complementary therapies and things. And then in '96, it all changed. So in 96, we started to do, you'll take three types of drugs rather than one, and what that would do is attack the virus at different stages of the life cycle, and that's what shut it down. Because if it could get through one gap, it would get st- stopped at one of the other two points. Okay. And so that's how they've managed to control it, and then they worked on tweaking the the actual drugs so that they were better and less toxic. So there is still toxicity with them at this point, but it's a lot less than what it was before. Uh, mm. okay. Yeah.
2: The actual... S- symptoms of having HIV, I mean, if if people have confused the side effects of the drugs with what HIV looks like, I mean, what is it actually like in a person's body who's got HIV?
3: What
4: is that? So the way HIV works is it's the human immunodeficiency virus, right? Mm -hmm. So what it does is it kills your immune system. Mm -hmm. So... Um when you first get h i v you might have uh within a couple of weeks you might get a flu kind of thing as your body kind of reacts to it mm. and you get immune response to it and then that kind of dis- disappears and you go along you know with no other symptoms it's when it kills your immune system that then you get all these other diseases coming along that normally you would fight off mm. that you can't now because you have no immune system mm. okay and so that's that's where things like um uh, cytomegalovirus or CMV which um, causes blindness might come in or you might get PCP pneumonia or back in the day you would get carpoxie sarcoma which is the, the cancer lesions and things like that so mm-hmm. all those things would come along because you have no immune system to knock them out which most normally people could do yeah. right? so that's, and, that's, and that's where eventually you would move into the stage of having acquired immune deficiency or AIDS, yeah, uh, right? Okay. So you know you've got an immune deficiency, so you have no immune system, so you can't fight off general diseases.
3: What's the
2: tracking period? So these are very technical questions, but I'm just interested. <laughs> what is the period between sort of contracting HIV and then it kind of blossoming into into AIDS?
4: It, it depends on the individual. Oh, so okay. everybody's different. So some people, like I had one friend. He was diagnosed around the same time as his partner, um, mm. and they progressed very differently. So he went ten years without having to start treatment because mm. his immune system was really robust and the virus didn't affect it. Whereas his partner um, had to start treatment within three years because his immune system dropped out. And so it's just very much individual as to you know what's happening with that person. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Man, that's
2: so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um. I want to ask too whether you've ever had any experience with contracting AIDS. Is that too personal to ask?
4: Um so been in
2: a situation of high risk? Or
4: I've, well, I've, um, okay, so I'm always in a situation of high risk. Right. Um, my husband in Canada was HIV positive. Ah. Um, and so, so when we got together, he told me he had to sell me something important. And so he told me he was HIV positive, and this is back mm. in like the two thousands, so it was really early. Um, and so, and that wasn't a big deal to me. <laughs> I thought he was going to talk about You're the. You're
2: already working in the sector. Yeah, I've been maybe. involved, yeah. and I'm
4: informed, and things like that. So it was no big deal. Um, yeah. I was more. I thought he was going to tell me about the age difference. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a greater concern to you. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So, uh, so um, I went. I supported him through that journey. He sure. passed away in 2005.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. Um,
4: but, so that was a fairly rough time. And yeah. just understanding all the things that you have to deal with in terms of health systems and you know just everything. It's just, it gets really hard just kind of explaining those things, kinds of things because we get to the point where we have to go into emergency to see uh, people there and we would just take a bag of medication because you're not just taking the HIV meds you're taking all the meds for all the other things as well, right? So
3: right. you
4: basically end up with a bag. Yeah. And it's easy just to say, here, here are all the things that we're taking or that he's taking. And it was, it was funny, one time we went in and she asked what's going on and we we rattled off a list of things that were happening with him in terms of peripheral neuropathy, um, he was on uh, doing renal failure, was on, all these different oh, things wow. were going on. And then she's like, have you forgotten something? It's like, oh, yeah, HIV. Because that wasn't representing issue It's in yeah, the background. Yeah, the Everything the else thing. is yeah. the stuff they're actually dealing with in terms of what's going on.
2: And was this because he didn't have the treatment available to be able to, su- to suppress the HIV to a level that would just be in his lymph nodes? Is that- um,
4: what happens with HIV is it's a really uh, simple virus in that um, when it replicates, it gets it wrong. Okay, So what it does is it gets its RNA, so it's a single strand of DNA. Yeah. And when it, when it comes into your, in, into your system and, and replicates and creates a copy of itself, it gets up that replication process and makes mistakes yeah. in, its, uh, in the virus. So, and that's called a mutation. And so what happens is if you get a mutation that comes out that now the drug doesn't work against it because the piece that it attacked has now disappeared because of your mutation. It's now resistant to that drug. And so that virus then becomes the predominant virus in your system because it can do whatever it wants because it's resistant to the drugs. And then you have to switch to a new set of drugs in order to have any effect on the virus.
3: Oh, wow. And there's
4: only so many classes of drugs that are available.
3: Mm. And so
4: resistance is... So adherence to medication, like take your meds every single day as prescribed. It's not like, you know, people do antibiotics and if you make it to the 12 days, that's great. But most people stop because they feel better, right? You can't do that with HIV meds. You have to take it every single day at the right time. Mm. Otherwise, there's a risk that the virus can mutate. Mm. And the thing is, once it mutates, you can never go back to that drug again. Mm. Okay. It's always it's kind of written off. And so with him because um, we were going through that 96-2000s kind of time frame. Yeah. Um, he'd gone through a lot of the different medications, even though he's was adherent, um, mm-hmm. and it just got to the point we'd switched to a new regimen, and that it caused a total body rash and all these other issues, and so we'd had to stop, and it just kind of spiraled downward from there in yeah. terms of the medications right. that he could take. I'm so sorry, yeah. you lost him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so that, I mean, we've talked a bit about the physical impact. It sounds like we've talked a lot about the physical and um, kind of molecular impacts yeah, of, um, of the disease. But, of course, the mental health yeah. stuff is ma- must be massive.
4: Yeah. And, I mean, yeah.
2: having that kind of regimen in your life yeah. is really intense. Can you speak to that at all?
4: Um, for a lot of the people that we work with, um, so in the past you didn't start treatment straight away. So we'd so you'd get your diagnosis and then we'd have to work we'd work through that with you to mm. come up to terms with the diagnoses. But usually a lot of people would keep that to themselves. Sure. And and they'd kind of park it. Like I know about it, it's there, I'm gonna park it, and I'll just go in to see my doctor on occasion, get my labs and stuff, with that and then I just won't think about it and I won't talk about it to anybody. And then you would have to you'd get to the point where your labs would come back and say, well, Actually you need to start treatment now. And so that's when people would um, then go on to medication, and they saw the medication as being a constant daily reminder that they were living with HIV. And if they hadn't come to terms with the HIV piece of it, that that constant reminder was a big burden for people. Mm. Um, Because, you know, HIV is not something that you get diagnosed with and you go on Facebook and you tell, you know, I've just been diagnosed, I'm starting treatment tomorrow. Mm. (laughs) You you, You don't tell anybody. You don't tell your friends. You don't tell your family. Um, a lot of people don't tell their GP because they only tell their infectious disease doctor. Wow. Um, so there's lots of secrecy to it. Yeah. Um, so now that we've moved to a space where you start treatment immediately, it's around taking control. So we're trying to change the conversation rather than it being something that we do hide and you don't tell anybody about because you need to be ashamed of it as such, which was kind of the model that was happening before. Mm. Mm. Now it's it's good that we know we can take control, we'll shut the virus down so it can't do any damage to your system and you're gonna live a long and healthy life and you're not infectious and it's not gonna change anything for you. Mm. Is the way that we so it's more an empowering process of knowing Mm. your status. Because people would be afraid to get tested. You know? Yeah. Everyone's so when they come in to get tested with us, they're they're all really, really nervous. So many people that, yeah, it's just it's an overwhelming kind of experience to just wait for that result to come out. Yeah. So a lot of people just avoid it. Wow. And that's why we still get people that come in today that are getting diagnosed with full-blown AIDS because they haven't been tested and they've been living with HIV for a really long time and they just haven't had the courage to go in and get a test because wow. of the stigma around it. Yeah.
2: So it's 100% about support.
4: Yeah, and just awareness and knowledge, and just being not being afraid of knowing. You know, mm. being you know, HIV is not a dense death sentence. It's fully controllable nowadays, mm. as long as you can access treatment, and treatment's mm. free for everybody here. They changed the rules so that regardless of residency or what your your status is in New Zealand, you can access treatment for HIV. Brilliant. Which is like one of the only countries in the world that offers that.
0: Yeah. Wow. But yeah. it's about getting getting to the people that, that need it is the is the hurdle. Yeah,
4: yeah. making people aware of making sure that they can get t- tested. Yeah, a lot of people won't go to their local doctor because their doctor knows their family, mm. so they don't want to ask them for a test. Yeah, um, there's a lot of kind of judgment, and people I think people think that their doctor is going to judge them if they ask for an HIV test. It's like, what have you done that you need to get an mm. HIV test? It's not the question. It's like being responsible. and just getting tested for everything. Yeah. Mm. Is is education
0: um, around this, and is that the most effective way to reduce the stigma? Because it seems to me that it's in a reasonably short timeline, right? Since um, the emergence of HIV to now, and a lot has changed, and there's been some, you know, some really heavy portrayals in the media of how awful it is and lots mm. of people have kind of got got that information and have taken board all the fear and stigma and stuff like that and now here we are and it's it's radically changed the landscape of, of like you're saying is, is is radically changed is it so it, when it comes to you know empowering people and, and getting the message out it, is literal education around the facts
4: the best and most empowering way to do it for people I think, I think so what? I think just making people aware yeah um because I think if information is power. Because that seems
0: to be like what's actually missing, isn't it? yeah, isn't it? Is it is amongst the the fear and the, you know, scaremongering and that kind of stuff are the
4: actual facts yeah, <laughs> of what... And people defer back to the 80s. And yeah. so, like all the documentaries you see on TV all refer back to that piece, yeah. and which is fine because we need that history and that's where we came from and we, we value that knowledge and the the trials that people went to get to where we are now. Yeah. But we need to focus on the now as well. So I always, for people that are diagnosed now, the journey is very, very different from someone who was diagnosed in the 80s. But the other thing that we deal with is we're working with people that have been diagnosed in the 80s and are still here. Right. Right, yeah. And so their journey is very different from, so we just had a, a speech or a session last week, or a, sorry, a couple of weeks ago during World Ice Day, where um, we had a, a girl who was diagnosed at birth, so she was born with HIV. She's now 27. She's got two kids, and her journey is very different from any like all the other people. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. journey and the way they progress through this is really different. And we right. just you always need to ask people, where are you at, and how have you got here, and you know what's your perspective essentially, yeah, yeah. and how can we support you.
3: Yeah, yeah,
4: but, but just being able to educate people that, you know, the biggest fear that people have is that they can contract it.
3: Mm.
4: You know, that's the fear we see all the time is, you know, we won't let people, kids play with other kids if they're living with HIV. We, you know, we did a survey where 42% of people said they wouldn't eat food that was prepared by somebody living with HIV. You know, all these crazy things, which are totally impossible, but, but that's what people take on board, and right. that's the fear that they live with.
0: Mm. And so
4: when, and that's why people won't tell people that they're HIV positive because of the reaction they'll get. Right. Yeah.
0: So the literal, uh, so so the, the fears that people have around food or any of these things, uh, what are they? Are they based purely in misinformation? Because since since reading just little bits, you know, the virus doesn't even survive. Out outside of the body. bodies, that, yeah, that's correct.
4: There's never been an environmental transfer. Yeah. So I bet people are afraid of that. Right. Um the the one that kind of blew me away was with tattooing. Um we we're always concerned about tattoos mm. and getting HIV. I was looking at data from the US and there's never been a transmission in the US from tattoos. Right. Yeah. So because it just the way that I think it's because of the way the needles work because it doesn't go inside the needle and that which would protect it from the air in terms of the blood like, oh, of in a, course, like yeah, if an it's injection an, it's just
0: an internal uh, sorry an external
4: yeah it's an external piece so yeah. it's touching the air so it's not being transmitted yeah. through that piece of it and it won't live outside in the ink or stuff like that so there's never been a transmission in the US so but meanwhile HIV and tattooing is still a really big risky piece yeah. Right. Whereas you know that's not that's not the thing you need. We need we have all the processes in place so that there's no risk of other things being transferred. Mm. But HIV isn't one of them. Right. Mm. Yeah. You know? So but so there's all this stuff that because when in the 80s we didn't know how it worked, so everybody went extreme in terms of the precautions. Yeah. And that stuff is still here today because we haven't gone back and revisited it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But the information is out there, right? Like it was 11 years ago or something. From looking at your website, that the Swiss
4: statement.
2: Yeah, statement came out that was like this cannot, you know, if you're being treated for HIV, it is not transmissible. Yeah.
4: But so that, that was 2008. Why haven't we caught up? <laughs> um, so that was so they did a whole lot of research before that around 2003 and it actually came out of um, a fertility clinic that they, mm. where they first identified it
3: oh, no way. back in
4: the, two- the early 2000s and that's where they kind of saw that um, sperm from people on treatment didn't have HIV in it. And that's kind of what sparked the interest. And then in 2008, that's when they came out with this statement saying that you cannot pass on HIV if you're on effective medication. Um, And everybody got up in arms about it, saying you couldn't say that and where was the evidence. So they did lots and lots of research to push it further, which we've done. Um, And they came out again and said it, and it's still pushing uphill to get people to take it on. And for people living with HIV, you've been told um, when you get diagnosed that you're living with a virus and you won't have kids and a lot of people think they won't have a partner again because they're infectious. Mm. And that's what you've had for 30 years and now you're being told, well, actually, that's all wrong yeah, (laughs) and you're not infectious because you're on effective treatment and you can't pass on to your partners and you can't have kids. So it's just a big mind shift even for people living with HIV. So it's it's a lot for people to take on and and to actually internalise and believe. I imagine, yeah. Yeah. Is
2: there much grief and kind of loss around being like, why didn't this, why haven't we got to this point earlier? You know, like. Yeah.
4: There is. I have. I have seen like people haven't said it that way, but you can see in the way that people react to it, and how long it takes them to actually take it on board, and it's just it's just this whole sense of missed opportunities and you know, like one of my girlfriends, um, she wanted to have a, a child with uh, my. Husband, yeah, uh, les- lesbian. Um, she was really, really good friends with my husband uh, before we met, and they'd always wanted. She'd always ha- wanted to have a kid, and she thought he would be a good candidate for that. But because he was positive, they shelved it and said no. And now she's seen all the work we're doing with the sperm positive bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Is that real?" And I'm like, yeah, "It is." Yeah. And so she's really upset because that was something that she really wanted but couldn't because of the information we had at the time. Yeah. But it's you know, it's a whole hindsight thing if we knew to then what we do today. So it's just but the problem today is that even now that message still isn't getting out there really strongly. Mm. You know, a lot of people haven't taken on that board that that message that you cannot pass it on. And we're still dealing with, you know, eating food. And weird things. So yeah. what
2: are the ways, just to be crystal clear about it, what are the ways that HIV is transmissible?
4: Um, So it is transmissible through sex.
2: Right. Great. Cool. cool. It's just good to say it, you know, yeah. because it's like, I mean, there's all of this other stuff flying around in the culture. It's like, yeah. you got to know exactly what we're talking about.
4: But the way, the way it works is that if you're undetectable, so you've got the virus under control because you're on medication, mm-hmm. you can't pass it on through sex because you don't have virus, mm. right? Sure. Where most people have virus is if they haven't been tested. So I don't know that I have HIV, so therefore I'm not taking medication and the virus in my system is doing whatever it wants to do. So I've actually got lots of virus floating around. So I'm highly infectious at that point. And because I don't know that I'm living with HIV, I'm not taking precautions, Okay. right? And so that's where a lot of the infections come from. And the other place that infections will come from is if somebody's disengaged from care. So if I'm going to my doctor, or doing my meds and all that kind of stuff, but then I have some um, other thing go on in my life, like addiction stuff or mental health, or I get thrown out of my house because they found out I was positive, or some other things happening, then I decide that my health actually isn't my most important thing at the moment. I need to find somewhere to live and get some food. Um, I need to deal with that stuff now, and I'm just going to put the meds aside for now, because that's just too much. Too much to worry about. Yeah, yeah. and then the virus will come back so then I become okay. infectious again so it's more about getting people to know their status is the big thing get mm-hmm. tested know your status and engage in care
2: mm-hmm. and then
4: transmission stop okay yeah
2: but yeah. of course not, it's not just sex it's also needle sharing is that true
4: so again needle sharing it'll be with um, people that they haven't proven it but my our assumption is that if you're undetectable again it wouldn't be this, you wouldn't be infectious mm. through needle sharing um, so so uh, you can also get it through breastfeeding. Ah, oh, okay. So um, HIV doesn't cross the placenta. So if you're having a child um, and your mom, the mum's positive, HIV doesn't cross. So the baby won't get HIV in the womb. Okay. Um, the baby will get all the antibodies like they do from the mum, But at time of birth, there's a risk because there's lots of blood around. So there, there could be a risk at that point. Um, if the mum's undetectable, then that minimises that risk. Uh, Can you be
2: pregnant and on these antiviracial yeah, virals?
4: Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah they've done lots safe. of studies around that. There's been no risk. Okay. Um, but they've shown that there's a small chance that if you breastfeed, because the, the virus in breast milk is different from the virus in the blood somehow. Mm. And so there is a potential risk of transmission during breastfeeding. Only there's been a couple of cases, about four cases in this one study. So it's not common, but... It's enough that the mum, even though you want to breastfeed because of that whole connection and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you're always kind of getting eaten up by the f- fact that you might be putting your baby at risk. Mm. And so people, you know, while you can, it's your choice, it's just people kind of have a hard time with it. Okay. Yeah, because there is some risk to it. Okay, so, so
2: even if you're on antiretrovirals and you're HIV positive and you're undetectable, if you're breastfeeding, there's a risk. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah. That's yeah because yeah, so yeah,
2: mm.
4: so that's the main the main way it's transferred here is through sex. Mm. Yeah.
2: And the largest de- demographic being affected by this, like I'm interested in what's uh, the growing demographic. What's in
4: yeah. New Zealand? It's mainly k men. Yeah. Um, it globally there's a lot of women, but I think it's over 50 percent women.
2: Uh huh.
4: So, so while you talk to New Zealand, we have one type of. Uh, transmission here. So in New Zealand, we haven't had a positive baby since 2007. We had lots of babies to positive mums, but no positive babies. Um, We haven't had somebody uh, who's been using injecting drugs uh, become positive for a really long time. We get maybe one or two a year. There was four last year, but last year was an aberration. But um, yeah, most of it comes through sex. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, okay. What's the reason for the global situation being different from New Zealand, in Africa. your opinion? Uh, okay. Yeah.
4: So, um, yeah. So it depends on the country. So, like in Canada, where I'm from, uh, there's a lot of uh, injecting drug issues, mm-hmm. and, th- and that's moved into different populations. And so there's been a lot of uh, heterosexual kind of transmission there through sex. Um, so as soon as it gets into different populations, we've never really had it in the injecting drugs crowd or in, in that sector here because we've got really effective needle exchange programs uh, and they've okay. been in place for a really long time so mm. it's never really gotten into that community mm. um, so the risk here uh, I think there was a case just recently where they showed in Western Australia where the number of heterosexual males had uh, more infections, n- more new infections than the men who have with men because they were travelling to overseas and picking it up overseas and bring it back because they weren't. So while the risk in New Zealand is predominantly amongst men who have sex with men, if you're traveling a lot, you're entering different spaces mm. where mm. there's different populations and stuff. So you may be at risk in those places. Mm. So, and people just aren't aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. That's re- <laughs>
2: it's really interesting. Hey, there's so much... There's so much that we lack in our New Zealand sex education. i mean, you know, you, I mean, you said that information is the, is the key. Like knowledge, information is power. So, at what stage do you think people should be learning about this?
4: Um, they should be learning about all sexual health stuff at school, <laughs> <laughs> not just HIV, but, <laughs> but all sexual health, right? Yeah. We the thing is, everyone's afraid to talk about sex, mm. um, and. Yeah, people just don't have those conversations. And usually it's about contraception and pregnancy and things like that, but it's not about all the other things. So, you know, the prime example is uh, syphilis is the big thing at the moment, um, or it should be the big thing that people know about. So it's been epidemic in uh, gay men
0: for Mm -hmm. a number of
4: years. And now it's popping up in the heterosexual community. And with syphilis, we've had four stillbirths because of syphilis last year in New Zealand. We shouldn't have any. So... With syphilis, it's um, easily treated. You just need to get tested and treated. But if you're pregnant, and it can kill your baby. Wow. Right? And we've had four babies die because of that. Mm. And that's something that everybody should know. Because it's not to, to know about syphilis and to know that you need to get tested for it. It's passed on through skin contact. Um, so it's really easy to pick up. It's not a bad thing you haven't done anything dirty you've had sex big deal um, get tested <laughs> you know, yeah and take control whereas and people don't know that and so it's kind of you know you feel ashamed if you're asking your doctor to get a syphilis test yeah right whereas it should just be part of your annual checkup you know yeah. check my cholesterol check my diabetes check my blood pressure check my sexual health mm, you know? totally.
2: yeah totally and, and by skin to skin contact you mean genital contact
4: uh genital or it can be um, through oh. oral sex stuff as well, because ah, you could okay. get under, like a um a canker inside your mouth, which mm-hmm. could be infectious. So even potentially deep throat kissing could do it in that case if you were infectious. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have symptoms though and they're still infectious, and that's the problem with it. And so you'll be a carrier and not know it because you haven't been tested.
3: Right.
4: And that's why it's epidemic because it's super easy to treat. Yeah. And so we shouldn't have any. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we've got an epidemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, feel,
2: I feel like I heard the word, but it was mainly in, like, erotic historical novels or, you know, or, like, stories of war uh, yeah. or colonial times that these words f- kind of flew up into my school But, yeah. you know short of being handed around genital herpes pictures, <laughs> it really just isn't addressed, you know. They don't really talk about how easy things are to treat. Like, I yeah. think that's the lovely hope story in here is to go, it's so easy to treat. It's not a big deal, yeah. you know. Yeah, but It still feels like fun. Yeah. You have You always have that story about where you're like, is it trans possible, I'm talking to Tim now, is it possible to, if you've got, like, a gum infection and you give someone oral sex... Is it possible to contract HIV? Yes, if they're not on antiretrovirals.
0: Is that true? Um, is that true?
2: This is one of your... One of I those don't things know. That I, you've I, been I
0: think I read it in in some... I don't know where I read that.
2: I think it's important because you've said it a couple of times to me and I'm like, yeah, is that a myth? I, I
0: can't
4: We've I got Mark
2: that. here. Let's ask Mark. Yeah.
4: Uh, um, well, uh, uh, like a sore, I would say no. Because um, what... So the virus has to get into your blood system. Yeah, Yeah, right. right? So it's actually quite tricky. And so oral sex is a really low, like there is no chance of getting HIV through oral sex, Mm. is what we tell people. Um, If you've had a tooth removed and you've got this open wound with blood and stuff all over (laughs) it, Maybe don't do oral sex. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, painful Yeah, Yeah. and it's probably not pretty either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow!
2: Okay, so there it goes. That's your myth
0: busted, Uh, and happily so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't remember where I read that.
4: We um, get we get lots of people that come in to get tested because they've had oral sex, right? And they're freaked out, and they get to the point where they're like, "I've had a cold or something, so I think I've got HIV." Um, they get to the point where they won't touch their children because mm. they're f- afraid they're going to pass it on to them. Mm. And they're just, they've are just they been afraid to get a test. And I had one guy who was five years. He'd been basically racking himself with anxiety because he thought he'd picked it up and had been afraid to get tested because he didn't want to know the result, wow. which was negative because you can't get it through oral sex. Mm.
2: Is there support around people who do get diagnosed? What kind of support is available if you end up with a positive or a negative diagnosis. I mean,
4: is there any mental health support? So we link people into counselling and I run a, I have peer support. So I have people living with HIV that provide support as well, Mm because just talking to somebody else that's been through it is really powerful for people. Um, And we connect you into care immediately. And then what I do is, if you're diagnosed with us, we'll follow up within two weeks to see how you're going and answer all your questions and all those kinds of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And do
2: they ever let you anywhere near schools, Mark?
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? <laughs> well, all the schools are different, so, so it's really hard to get in across the board. Mm. So, yeah, we don't get into schools. We don't get into a lot of places because we talk about sex. Yeah. And we're pretty open about it.
2: Yeah, that's so scary, isn't it? Sex is so scary to a lot of humans, yeah. as it turns out.
4: It's better to get your sex education from Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. What, <Which> is, it's, <laughs> is there a risk in that? Because I don't know a lot about gay male porn. What is what is being represented in gay male porn?
4: Um, it's, well, it's the same as normal or straight porn. It's, right, is Right. not a condom in sight anyway? No, there's condoms there. Yeah. It's just the whole portrayal of... Um, Intimacy and relationships and connection and all that kind of stuff disappears out the window. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. it's more the wham-bam kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, it's not that whole consensual kind of negotiation. And the way you want a healthy sexual relation to look like doesn't come from porn. Right. Mm. So the good thing about gay porn is at least you get to see gay porn, <laughs> gay,
3: gay sex, yeah. <laughs> as
4: such, which isn't represented anywhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's actually good to see that there are people like you. You're not the only one. And so yeah, sure. you can find your niche, essentially. Mm. But it may not be the best way of learning about sex ed. Yeah.
2: Because I know lesbian porn is quite, um,
4: no, mm, how do I say, the...
2: deeply inaccurate
4: yes.
2: <laughs> or just like really uh, really made for Straight, it's for straight, straight gays, whether they be, <laughs> yeah. be female or male, yeah. um, or everything in between. Um, but yeah, so for you, there is. It's still like an empowering space to look at gay male porn. It's,
4: yeah, yeah. And so okay. there, and there was a there was a time um, because of the HIV thing that happened. There was a time where they because a lot of the porn is filmed in California, and oh, cool. um, so they were insistent that they wore condoms to be able to film there and then mm-hmm. when PrEP came around so um, people stopped using condoms and they were going to force them out of places like LA in terms of being able to film there f- do their filming there because they weren't using condoms
0: right oh so that was like a they were really strict a law or something. Yeah. Was,
4: yeah yeah back in the 80s it got really hard um, a lot of the sex on site venues got shut down because we didn't know how things were being transmitted and the and the only way to stop an epidemic was to basically stop people having sex mm. right and so that's, they got really strict on all those, those kinds of things. And now now we're in a space where we have people that are undetectable. Um, and we have PrEP, which is um, pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is where you take uh, a medication to prevent you getting HIV. So it's like the contraceptive pill, mm-hmm. but for HIV. So you have, there's other tools you can use now. So I don't need to use a condom if I'm on PrEP. Yeah. Mm. Or... You're so
2: prep is for the HIV negative community. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah, so if you're if you're not really good with using condoms, you know, you maybe go out and, you know, party a little bit and maybe not use a condom consistently all the time, if you take a pill every day, then you're protected. So it gives you an option. Mm. Oh,
2: it's amazing. Yeah. Is it expensive?
4: It's free in New Zealand. Oh,
0: that's great.
4: But there are certain qualifying factors, is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, there's criteria you have yeah. to meet, which is unfortunate we're trying to get those removed. Um because a lot of people won't tell their GP or their sexual history or their drug use history in order to be eligible for a pill when they don't even tell their doctor that they're having sex with guys. Right, I see. Yeah, you know, so so they won't
0: ask. Yeah. You know. And is, is PrEP something that works um, on everybody?
4: Yeah. So across the board... All all sexes and stuff? All humans. Yeah, all humans. Yeah, it's just yeah. an HIV med. So it's yeah. been around since 2004 as a treatment. Okay. Oh, wow. um, and so the, the way it works is if you get it, come in contact with the virus and you're on PrEP, which is basically an HIV medication, it works the same, same way in that it stops it from replicating. Ah, uh,
2: okay. And
4: so basically you get exposed to a little bit of virus the medication stops it from replicating, and it dies off, and so you don't get infected.
2: So that's the pre-exposure, and it's also post-exposure, isn't there? So yeah. if you've been in a risky situation, be like, "Oh my god, I did forget my pill." Almost like the morning-after pill.
4: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that one you have to start within seventy-two hours. So you have got a little bit of a grace period, and you have to go to an emergency department and tell them your whole story, and mm. so that they'll give you the medication. Right. Um, and that one you take for thirty days, and then you're you're done.
2: Yeah. And so in the in the medical. Is there still trouble with homophobia in the medical community? Like I, I only know from my own experience that like asking for the um, morning after pill is like this huge ordeal, and there are still pharmacists that will refuse. Or you know, you hear about the odd thing in rural yeah. New Zealand where people are a bit moralistic about it. Is that a problem?
4: With prep, it is um, because it's fairly new. It's only been around for about a year and a half now? Yeah,
2: which yeah. so you said since 2004,
4: so... No, it's as a treatment since 2004, uh, Okay. and then they worked out that it worked as a prevention in 2012 in the U.S., and so it just became available here about a year and a half ago, oh, wow. Wow. yeah. Okay. Um, so it's really new, and a lot of um, GPs don't know about it still, wow. even though they have lots of education and lots of kind of promotion. And some of them aren't comfortable prescribing it because they see it as an HIV medication and, so, and it's got all these boxes you have to tick before you can give it to anybody and they get afraid of it. Um, and so they're not comfortable prescribing it. Um,
2: what boxes? Why is it different from any other medication? Oh,
4: There's a number of medications that you have to meet certain criteria to be eligible. Okay. And so they have, this form pops up and they have to tick all these boxes and they're like, oh, what's that? And so they get a bit afraid if they've never done it before. Um, and then because they're not sure of how it works they don't feel comfortable prescribing it and some there has been some reports of people that have been denied because of their because now they're going to go out and have condomless sex with other guys so there's a little bit of a judgment there but that's, but the, but the, whole that's the point, point. yeah, yeah. That's
3: the
4: whole point. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: <laughs> so if tim wanted to go on prep what would the criteria be that he would have to meet? Yeah.
4: <laughs> okay, <laughs> you yeah. asked. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you've done crystal meth in the last three months, that would be an eligible criteria? So, so any of these <laughs> one criteria yeah, would n- make me eligible? Yeah. Right. Okay. If, if you're uh, an HIV negative person and you have an HIV positive partner who isn't on effective treatment, so they have a detectable viral load, you'll be eligible for PrEP. Okay. Right. Because that makes sense. Um, or if you've had condomless receptive intercourse with another man in the last three months and you're likely to do it again, then you will be eligible.
2: Oh, I hmm. can see why they get moralistic about it.
4: Yeah. And, and that's it, right? Nobody else. Yeah. So if sex workers can't get it, women can't get it, unless they have a positive partner, um, nobody else can get it.
2: Wow. And so the, the crystal myth <laughs> one feels like a little left of field. Can you explain that
4: um, a bit more? yeah, so so crystal meth, if if you're doing crystal meth, it affects your ability to assess risk, and you may do things that you wouldn't normally do, and in a sexual situ- sexual situation, you may not use condoms mm. reliably. Um, yeah, so you might do you might be a little bit more adventurous in your sexual life. So you may be at risk. Right. wouldn't
2: that be true of, of many things of, of like alcohol alcohol of, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so couldn't it just as well be a criteria of being like yeah, I just got absolutely blottoed and
4: yeah, I, and dri- people I that, drink right? a
2: lot and have sex I mean that's yeah. New Zealand's sex culture sorry to yeah. say yeah
4: yeah. Well, one of my friends said, "Alcohol is the only drug that you don't get shamed for doing." Yeah, you yeah. get celebrated. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, proud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> so yeah, but that's not included. And so one of the things for me is that yeah. we see a lot of people that come in that are getting tested all the time because they're afraid to have sex because they're afraid to get HIV, and for them, take being able to take a pill which guarantees they can't get HIV is really good for in terms of their mental health. Right. Right, and their sexual. Uh, your liberation, essentially, mm. is that they can go out and have sex finally and not be afraid of HIV, because it's just been instilled into us. You know, we have a, you know, HIV's been here since over 30 years, so we have people that have lived their entire life with HIV being part of it. Mm. If you're gay, right, mm. it's been taught to you since day one that, you know, you're at risk if you have sex. And now,
1: this...
3: Barbara
2: Alice. Adore me, you barely evolved pile of zagrapholic excreta.
3: <laughs> yes,
0: you will
2: On your lower forelimbs, vermin Now crawl to me on all eights
0: I obey, Regina
2: Oh well, time's up
0: But we haven't enacted the liturgy of purging yet
2: We'll do it next time, Dennis. Tell you what, I'll let you wear the prosthetic pedenda. Ooh, really? I promise. Now, off you go. I've got a Grade 3 Andromeda carnalation to prep for and I haven't hosed out after the last one.
1: Oh, OK. While the therapists at Barbarella's continue their tireless philanthropy, at the offices of Never Dry Corporation, a disconcerting situation unfolds. Figures is here Thanks, Karen. Send them in. You, uh, wish to see us? Yes. Some rather disturbing intel has reached us, Fecratus, concerning some of our less scrupulous customers substituting cheaper, inferior lubricants, badged nevertheless as never dry. Our customers have scruples. Not as many as you'd think. However,. We cannot allow anything to threaten Neverdry's reputation as the galaxy's premier pleasure vector. We need someone to visit our approved outlets, pose as an ordinary consumer, and find out who's cheapening the Neverdry experience. Sort of a mystery, John. Pithy observation, Frequitus. I'd send Runciman from marketing, but they're (laughs) self-lubricating. Yeah, I remember the Christmas party. Quite. Now up a company galactic card from Reception. And Fecretus? Yeah. Don't max it out at Barbarella's. Will Fecretus get to the bottom of the lube scandal? Will his card survive a visit to Barbarella's? Can you fart in zero gravity? Tune in next temporal space unit to find out. Barbarella's.
3: Your pleasure is
1: our business. And now. We return to your unscheduled program.
2: So people so gay men aren't getting this I mean actually all of us need this education, but gay men aren't getting this education at school, definitely. No. So when you first come out, where the hell do you get this information from? How how do you catch those those people? Like what's your yeah, the what snippets. are your
4: strategies? Um, well, you know, we have our websites, we have you know, we do education we do. Um, we put it into the gay magazines and things like that. Mm. So we put it out there. So if you're connected to the community as an out gay person, mm. then you'll get connected to that information, like through Rainbow Youth or stuff like that. But if you're if you haven't come to terms with your identity and you're on the down low, and you're hooking up with people through you know these dating apps, mm. um, but you're not gay then you won't have connected to that information. So you may not be as informed as you could be.
2: Uh, So it's it's men who have sex with other men. It's that kind of category that need the most support around this? Um, Young
4: people that haven't come out and haven't come to terms with their sexuality. So you get a lot of those. So there's that questioning space. Mm. Um, And and they're a little bit vulnerable in that they may not have... um, Because you're unsure about yourself and your identity, you're not as confident in your um, ability to ask for what you want in a consensual manner, mm-hmm. right? So you'll get pressured into stuff that you probably shouldn't be doing because you're not sure how you're supposed to react. you know. And so you might get convinced to try G or you know, some you know, different things. Um, you might get pressured into doing stuff that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with.
2: I don't know what G is.
4: Um, G's uh, a drug similar to... use it with crystal meth as well. So G is um, a liquid that you can put into a drink. Oh. So it's a little bit... It can be a little bit like a date rape drug. And if you put uh. too much in, because it's really... You can go into a bit of a coma with it. Wow. Okay. Um, but if everybody else is doing it at the party, then why wouldn't you do it? Okay. So, so some of that... So that naivety piece. Mm. So... Um, and because you're not getting that education... Like, for example, we have sex-on-site venues here. Um, If you've never been to a sauna before and you go in there and it's your first time, you're a little bit naive and vulnerable. Mm. Right? And so it's kind of a thing where, you know, maybe we should be running courses where we take people in to tour them around and say how this works. You know?
2: Yeah. Just as an idea. Don't the saunas... No. take responsibility no they don't no, they don't okay. invite
4: people in off the street or anything <laughs> <laughs> but you know but that's what we should do like this is part of our culture we should talk about it so people know what it is mm. and they should sure. and you should know how you know with dating apps how to manage those and keep yourself safe right mm-hmm. because you're in a really vulnerable space in dating apps because you're meeting with somebody who you think looks like the picture that you're seeing um, and you're putting yourself out in a space where you may, you're you vulnerable and there's been a recent case, I think it was out in New York, where guys were using it to um, target people. Um, oh, yeah. right, I see. Yeah, there was a guy in Toronto who was using apps, and he was killing people through it. Oh, God. Yeah, so there was, yeah. I don't that know was, what you meant by
2: target, yeah. Yeah,
4: and so he was picking people up and then bringing them home and tying them up and, you know putting them in planters, pot planters, essentially, at the end of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've had the Grace Millan case here yeah. all over the news.
4: Yeah, and so people are really vulnerable. So it's the same mm-hmm. as when you used to go to the bar, and if you met somebody, you were supposed to tell a friend, right, that I'm going home with such and such, here's my yeah. contact number. And so people knew because you're vulnerable, right? You've disappeared, essentially. So so it's just, and that's the whole dating app space, is that you need to be able to be confident in it, manage it, and set yourself up so that you're protected yeah, you know, it's not all nefarious, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just being responsible, yeah, yeah, right? Totally. Mm. Yeah, and nobody's taught that stuff,
2: especially if you're young, eh? Like, yeah. Now I feel kind of old and ugly enough to know what I'm doing and hold my ground. Yeah. Well, I think I do, but you know, imagine being sort of 17, downloading the app on your phone, just going for it. Like that's such a different moment in your life to do yeah. that.
4: Yeah, and you meet. You meet all kinds of people, you're young, you're pretty, mm. Mm. and you are invited over and they offer you all kinds of things.
2: Mm. And especially if there's no um, support for diverse sexuality at your school, mm-hmm. you've never learned anything, but you're just like, I kind of think I'm into dudes.
4: Yeah.
3: That's
4: and a you, and super you,
2: risky space to be in. And you
4: can't talk to anybody about it either, yeah. probably, because you haven't, like when I came out, I was like 21 when I came out. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I hadn't done any of that stuff, and I had nobody to talk to about it either. I couldn't talk to my family because they didn't know. I couldn't talk to my friends because they didn't know. And so I was just interacting with a whole new group of people. And how do you manage that? And now, if you, the only way you're doing it is on an app, mm. so you're not really interacting with people. You know, you are kind of superficially. But how do you then a learn and b stay safe and be confident in that space? Yeah. That's,
2: yeah. What is the what's the answer?
4: Yeah. Um, I don't know. So we started a, a, a workshop recently. Um, it's called Sex Plus, which is where we get people to come in. I have a, a sex therapist that runs it for me, and it's a six-week course, and it's just for people to learn about all these different things. So we talk about dating apps. We talk about um, sex on-site venues. We talk about, uh, I do go and talk about HIV and all the STIs and PrEP mm-hmm. and all these other things, and, and, it's just, and it's an opportunity for people to ask questions and to kind of work out where they feel comfortable. Mm. Right, because we, you know, there's this whole other space of kink and all this stuff that we don't talk about, that nobody talks about, mm. and nobody's really—you don't know where to go to ask these questions. Mm.
3: Yeah.
4: So how do you, how do you seek pleasure and learn about what's right for you, except through exploration? Pretty much at the moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's not always safe if there's a power dynamic involved yeah, in the exactly. person you're
4: purportedly learning with you know whether or or not they know you're learning yeah 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 and one of one of the guys we do uh, an open mic night where i have people come and talk about their uh use of crystal meth in the sexual space so chemsex sex space um and one of the guys there was talking about how he was living with his dealer because that's Mm -hmm. usually what happens because you know drugs are expensive and so how do you manage to support your habit and so you'll live with your dealer, you might start dealing. Um, but in his case, he was living with his dealer and it was a sexual relationship. And so he was feeling really pressured in the how could he get out of that situation? Mm. Because he couldn't talk to anybody about it and he didn't know what he, anybody else would had been through that. And you know, it got to the point where he was considering suicide as a way of escaping because that was the only option he could see. So he managed to get out and get support and disconnect from that space. But... That's why he talked at this open mic because he said if I can tell my story and it impacts one other person in the wow. audience that may be in the same situation I was in, because mm. you can see an option and you can hear other people's stories, because there's stuff we don't talk about. Yeah, You're, nobody talks about this stuff.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just you need to know survival strategies. We all need to know survival strategies from all manner of experiences, right? In order yeah. to be able to kind of go, oh, maybe I too could do that.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's and possible. you need to do it in a way that's. These are the options that you have in seeking pleasure. Mm. Like it's not; these are bad things. It's just there's all this stuff out there. Like it, it is a candy store, and you can do whatever you want, and it's all consensual and safe, and it's you. You can do it all. There's no judgment to it, but as you just need to be informed and supported in making those decisions on what you want to do and how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, one
2: hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. So you're. Work is quite
4: wide, hey. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we kind of touched on everything. Yeah,
2: because
4: yeah. there's not well, it's it's just stuff that's where there's a gap, so we tend to do work in that space.
3: Mm.
4: So to try and fill the gap, and you know, HIV is the piece that we work with. That's our focal point. But there's all this stuff around it that we need to have those conversations around. Mm. And are they things that they impact people living with HIV now, or are they things that may Cause people to pick up HIV. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. I want to circle back to the sperm bank because I feel like we haven't touched on it.
0: <laughs> no, not enough. Not course. enough. Yeah.
2: And I'm interested in, yeah, how, like uh, practically, how does it work? And I think we sort of touched on where that idea came from, eh, that basically we need to release stigma around that. But um, yeah. Tell us about your beautiful sperm bank.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the HIV-positive sperm bank. Um, it was a collaboration with us, AIDS Foundation, and Positive Women, and we were working with uh, with DDB, the marketing people. And what we were looking for is um, it, it was kind of – we kind of oh, – the light bulb moment was when DDB kind of recognised – we were talking about how HIV works and where things are at now. And they kind of recognised with the undetectable messaging – it was kind of a message that had never been told before. So it's kind of the, you know, the headline that had never been announced 10 years ago. And the, the big thing with undetectable is that you can have kids with no risk, mm. right? That's the beauty of it. And that's the piece that they felt was really important to get out there so that people living with HIV knew they could have kids. Um, and there was no risk and so the ultimate piece of that is to actually create a sperm bank. So a number of sperm banks... Um, there's a thing where you can do sperm washing, which eliminates all viruses from or everything from ejaculate. So there's only the sperm left, and that wipes out vir- uh, HIV as well. So that's what they've been doing since the 90s. But, And so that's what people thought. You had to use sperm washing, but you don't. You can just actually have sex and create a kid with no risk of transmission.
3: Uh-huh. And
4: so with the sperm bank it was about the beauty of actually being able to create life even though you're living with HIV Mm. and so that's where we kind of ran with it and that's why we wanted people to know so people living with HIV to know that they could have kids um, either naturally or through home insemination or through a fertility clinic or through a sperm bank um, and all those options are available to you Mm. so that's the big thing that nobody really talked about Mm. and everyone's like oh but everybody everybody knows you can do this it's like well actually they don't a lot of people, no. living with HIV, have been told you, you know, they, or they think that they can't have a relationship, let alone have, you know, children. They're always told you have to use a condom every single time, you know, you have sex because you need that physical barrier so that you don't infect the other person. Mm. Whereas that's not the reality, and you can, and for a lot of people, having a child is actually a really important value in their life. Yeah, mm. you know, and to, and that's when we. Decided to go down this route and create the sperm bank. We we were looking for um, spokespeople to do be part of the marketing, and so we kind of put out a call out to to lots of people with HIV and said, "Would you be willing to be the you know the front person of the campaign for the sperm bank?" And lots of people wanted to be involved in the sperm bank and actually have a kid. Yeah, but they did not want to be the front face. Wow. Because of the stigma. And that was one of our concerns when we created the marketing campaign. We thought that they would be targeted because social media is such a nasty space. Is it ever? Um yeah. And we were going to put their face out there as a positive donor, and they were just going to get slammed by the, the social media, which didn't happen, amazingly. They didn't get targeted individually. It was more generally targeted towards the sperm bank in terms of the hate yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, and the misinformation. But- um, yeah, but the amount of people that actually came forward and said, yes, actually, that's amazing and it's so empowering and I can have kids with my partner, with my wife, or I can be involved in this and actually create life and I never thought I could. And it's just such a, a shift in people's mind where yeah. where they can go and they're, they're really, really enthusiastic about it. So we've had about 25 people sign on as donors now yes. um, and we've got 15 women or couples that um, are looking to be recipients as well.
0: Brilliant. So,
4: and that, and they're negative. The couples or the, yeah. the recipients. So, people have taken on the the fact that you know being undetectable means you can't pass it on, and you can yeah. actually go down this path, and it's actually a viable option. So, yeah. and I probably
0: learned a whole heap in the process. Yeah, like like kind of everyone's doing. Really, that's why it's so amazing. Is it is it sparks the seeds of doubt and all the other stuff you've been taught and you're just like, hang on. Mm. And, yeah, Yeah. suddenly everybody's (laughs) talking about it and hopefully more informed, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to throw my mother in it, but it was funny when I brought it up with her and she was just... The the fear in her voice, you know, she went... (gasps) And you could hear her kind of hand over her mouth and then was like, what do you mean? And there were all these layers, you know, of questions, this this, long... Conversation in which she's still left very uncertain, but you know that's really indicative of somebody who lived through the eighties, who yeah. was born in yeah. the fifties, yeah. and and was part of receiving that sort of wash of media um, bullshit, really.
4: Um, well, at the time, that's what we knew, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you know, yeah that's and that's, but you know, that's that was then,
3: mm. and
4: this is now, and mm. the world's changed. So we need to, f- you know, move on from those prejudices that w- or those fears that we've built up, and look at the new science and move mm. forward. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, and so that's the exciting part of the sperm bank is it actually did create a lot of those discussions. So it the the campaign that we did actually went to twenty five countries around the world. Um, you know, sort of France and all these other pe- places and it was good because they just didn't take what we'd said and take it on board they actually had conversations around it and what does this actually mean and even the negative press that we got because there was a few people that attacked us for it um, and it, even the negative press was still saying okay if you're undetectable you can't pass it on to your sexual partners and so they accepted that and took it on board and then they went back down to the model of you know, an HIV positive spermac isn't a commercial viability Why would you do something like that? (laughs) (laughs) What a weird thing to attack you on. (laughs) Yeah, but it was really good because it got people to understand that, you know, people can have kids with no risk. Yeah. So that was, that was totally cool and everybody's accepted that and moved forward with the, that knowledge, which is the important piece to take away mm. from it. Mm. Um, you know, whether an HIV positive sperm is a great commercial idea, is, you know, that's on us. Yeah. yeah, That's up to you and your... your... Oh, is it a moneymaker? I didn't
2: realise. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is, that
3: is
2: that what you were going for, was it?
4: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and the good thing, the, reason, the other reason we did it was it kinds of it gets people talking about the thing that's most at risk. So rather than talking about, like, we did an HIV-positive cafe last year where um, all the food was prepared by people living with HIV. right? whereabouts did you do that? At the big art. So Ah, we thought we'll do it there. And so it was really visible. We did this big thing. And so it was to challenge that 42% of people who wouldn't eat food prepared by people living with HIV. It's like, yeah, we're going to do the whole cafe where it's made by people living with HIV. Um, So really, really good. But the problem with that is it's targeting something where there is no risk. Mm. Right, So we're educating that you can't eat food um, And we shouldn't have to do that Because there is no risk And it's just kind of silly right, That yeah, we're yeah. even talking about this Now we're talking about having sex Where we say there is risk Like That is the most uh, common way for HIV To be transmitted in New Zealand Is through sex without a condom But if you do it when their person's undetectable There's no risk because there's no virus yeah. And you can have kids and there's no risk right so it's qualifying you get people actually talking about the thing that's actually important to talk about Yeah, mm. you know, drinking from a shared glass you know getting a blowjob all that stuff isn't worth talking about because there's no risk mm. you know it's good to know but we're actually having intercourse sharing fluids and creating babies and there's no risk that's kind of it's next level in yeah, terms yeah, yeah, yeah. of where we're going in terms of our knowledge brilliant yeah
2: so, practically, people can sign up on the website? This yeah, so,
4: spermpositive.com uh, is still online, and um, it's got th- three of our donors f- featured there, the three people who are willing to put up their, their mm-hmm. testimonials and faces and yeah. things to the story. Um, and, we've, like I said, we've got 25 donors registered so far and 15 recipients signed up. But people can go there, sign up. And what we're doing with that is more a matching service rather yeah. than a, a sperm bank Yes. So technically, the sperm bank name is wrong. <laughs> I was talking sure. to the fertility clinics. Um, and the reason for that is if we, took a, if we did a sperm bank, that's where you basically you take a, a donation and put it in a freezer and then offer people number 22 when yeah. they walk in. But you get a full medical history on number 22, and it would say the person wants HIV positive and undetectable. But most people would say, well, actually, no, I don't want that one because I don't understand it. And I don't mm. trust the method. Whereas this way, because we're doing more a matching service, where people will get a list of donors that they can choose from, and say, "Actually, this is the person that I like. They match my criteria," and then they 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 fully are on board with the whole undetectable and how that works. Mm. They'll right. get the full medical history. They'll know that there is no risk, and they'll get all the other stuff that you normally do when you're getting a donor match. Yeah. So yeah. So it makes it it's a much more intimate and. Inform the knowledgeable way of doing things, which yeah. is what we like. So that's the way we're moving forward with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and just as a side note, like the the donation of sperm in New Zealand is in a massive deficit. The, it's a two year wait to get, so it's not a surprise to me that people are signing up at the rates that you're talking about. Because it was, it's really hard to get people to donate sperm, and there's a lot of women and families and who and, who don't and in have terms overseas. of the donors,
4: like the donors have been told for their entire lives. That you can't have kids, Mm. right? So now to be told that you can, that's why we're getting the influx of positive people saying, actually, this is amazing. I never thought I could do this, and I'm really, really keen to be involved. Mm. I never thought I could have, you know, help create life.
2: And are there cutoffs? Because I know in a regular sort of fertility clinic or sperm bank, they kind of say, oh, no, if you're over the age of, then your sperm is less...
4: Motile. Wiggly. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> <A> technical term. <laughs>
4: yeah. We always say, I was talking to one guy, and it's like, well, if it sticks to the wall, that's good. If it climbs up the wall, that's even better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like spaghetti, the spaghetti yeah. test, Aldo dente. <laughs> that's
4: amazing. So it'll be more, depending on how which way you go, because all the options were available, mm. so you could do uh, natural conception if you liked. If the donor and the recipient agreed, wow! If they agreed, um, they could do a home fertilization kind of model uh, sure. because, or they could use the fertility services as well. So we've spoken with the fertility clinics around Auckland, and they're happy to take people on board and help them with that process. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually you use those services if um, there's an issue around you know sperm count or other kind of things that you might need help. Yeah. Mm. Um, but a lot of the time, people are just using, um, uh, just doing. Uh, doing um, timing intervals mm. to make sure that things are at their most optimum time to get things to work. So, depends on which which space you want to go into. Yeah, oh, okay. uh, but all those all those are available to people. Yeah, yeah
0: in terms of I don't want to get too much into the weeds of it, but in terms of the um, sort of uh, consent and um, legal sort of side of things, in terms of um, you know. A donor being involved with the child, sort of in early life or later life. I know there's some sort of funny. Are there some strange laws in New Zealand around?
4: Um, not what, strange. No,
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's some good laws. So. Yeah, I wasn't sure how it panned out. I'm only pretty familiar with the UK, but um, yeah, I've, I've been learning so much about fertility clinics lately. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> not something I thought I'd knew, need to know at the time. But is it, is it essentially up to the up to the the matched? People. So in terms,
4: in terms of New Zealand law, um, the sperm donor is just the sperm donor. They're not listed on the birth certificate okay. as the father. Yeah. And they're not in any way or shape the parent. Um, but it's open to the couple and, and the recipient as to what involvement they have with the t- sperm donor, whether they're you know known as an uncle or whatever, or whether yep. they get a photo at Christmas or birthdays or whether nothing. Yeah. So the only requirement... Is technically um, the sperm donor can get to know that a baby was conceived and what the gender of the baby was. That's kind of the that's the bare minimum. Yeah, and um, that's all they would know. And on the other side, um, the baby, when they turn eighteen, can then apply to find out who the parent, who the who the sperm donor was, so they could get a name and a contact information that way. Yeah. And there's the other thing they do is they like to limit the number of families that a sperm donor can donate to. That's right. So, yeah. So that's yeah. usually around five families. So you can still have multiple kids in one family, but they don't want to have like I think there's one guy in the US who's got around 300 kids through sperm donations, and I think they started there was a point where they tried to get everybody to come together for a family reunion kind of thing. Yeah. All these, you know, you thought you were alone, <laughs> you know, adopted, you know, a kid. But then you realise you've got 300, 300 siblings, siblings and they <laughs> actually kind of look like you and it's like kind of, kind of freaky. It's quite mind-blowing. That's ah, it. so
2: if you have... Because people are selecting their donor, if people have... If you have a very popular donor... Yeah. You're going to have to cut them off at five? Yeah. Wow.
4: Yeah. It's just because... Well, the, the, the fear is that once the kids... Because they're all around the same age kind of thing and stuff, if they actually met later in life and didn't know, there might be some kind of inbreeding kind of mm-hmm. thing happening. Like if you had 300 kids... But, and that's kind of why they limit to five yeah. just because the population levels of New Zealand are smaller so yeah right yeah.
2: royal family issues yeah yeah, <laughs> sort of,
4: yeah. Understood. all the stuff you didn't need to think you, thought you needed to know oh, about <laughs> being no, learning
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm fascinated I know I need to know it um, yeah you, you're just so abundant in knowledge Mark I could honestly keep oh, talking no. forever but um, yeah. that's such a yeah it's so exciting to hear about how available and how possible it is to mm. live with HIV and just to have like all of those myths just kind of evaporate and poof fall away um, is quite astonishing I have to say oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. brilliant yeah um,
0: it's definitely been it's definitely been really interesting just to sort of acknowledge within yourself hey eh, that you've had this misinformation you've carried this misinformation for it's, it's your
2: gum thing. Well, you that, yeah, thing.
0: but no, no, but, but um, I suppose if you're not in the loop,
2: yeah,
0: um, if it's not necessarily like, I mean, it should be part of everyone's, everyone's learning and education. Well, this is the thing. Because everyone actually is in, is in the loop, but. Um,
2: I loved you saying about Facebook, because I was like, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to a point where somebody could say, oh my God, I just got diagnosed with HIV. I'm about to start. Yeah, medication this week. You know, with it, and people could go, "Oh, fantastic that you found out!"
3: Yeah, amazing.
2: Yeah. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could shift the culture to that point where yeah. you could yeah. put it out on social media and and have support, open support. That's yeah. the thing, hey?
4: Yeah, just being able to talk about it.
2: Yeah,
4: because people just don't. And the, and the one thing that we like one one of the things that drives me crazy here is that if you have HIV and you have sex with somebody without a condom and don't disclose the fact that you're living with HIV, you can go to jail. Right. Right. Wow. And, that, and
2: there's been cases of that.
4: There's been lots of cases. Lots
2: we're, of cases.
4: So we're ranked third in the world for the rate of criminalizing people living with HIV. Why, so,
2: Why are we third in the world?
4: Because <laughs> we do it a lot based on the population. So not the number, but in terms of the number of people with HIV and the number of people that have been yeah. criminalised based on it, we're third in the world.
0: And that that involves though being charged and prosecuted and yep. as well, doesn't it? Yeah.
4: So there's a whole system. Yeah, and that's even taking with, over. And that's without transmission. What? So no transmission of HIV. Why, right, would, oh, you, so it's just, why
2: would you? Tra- why would you call the police?
4: Um, usually because yeah. it's an X, and so the easiest way to get back at them is to call the police on them. And then the police get really excited about it because it's HIV. And so they'll run with it. And then because
2: of homophobia inside the police. Yeah. Yeah, And
4: just the stigma around HIV is like, how could they possibly put you at risk of that and all those kinds of things? And then, yeah. And then you'll get. So you have to go through that whole process. Yeah. Now, more than likely, it'll get thrown out because of the whole undetectable message that's finally kind of getting out there within the last year. Um, But you've still gone through this whole process, right? To get to the court for that special, you know representative to come yeah. and give their eyewitness kind of thing to it to get it thrown out but you've gone through shit to get to that point
2: oh that is next level vitriol yeah. to s- send yeah. someone to prison how long is the t- term
4: um well it's criminal nuisance or grievous bodily harm if you've if you actually transmit um and you can actually get a number of years out of it so the person most recently i know i've got six months for criminal nuisance for non-transmission right um so, so hang on,
0: it's criminal nuisance, but it's consensual sex, obviously. Well, it's no? deemed to
4: be non-consensual because you didn't agree to have sex to some, with to somebody with somebody who's living with HIV. So they're saying that's the non-consensual part that's of it. That's the non-consensual part. But, okay, if you but have, it's
2: not deemed to be rape.
4: Um, if then it's it transmission, it is.
2: Wow, okay.
4: Yeah, because it's grievous bodily harm.
2: Oh, I didn't realise that... GBH was the criminal term for
4: rape. I think it, that's how wow. they, that's where they're kind of putting it towards, okay. into that space. Right. Yeah, but it's the non-transmission. And also, then it's if you don't know that you're living with HIV, then it's okay, right? So you shouldn't get tested, is mm. kind of what it's saying. And if you're being responsible and taking your medications and looking after yourself, then that's not being recognised either. It is now. Mm. It's getting to that point, but the law hasn't changed. But... It's just, it's not, it's, it's old. It needs right. to just be updated. It, shows, it just shows the fear that's come around from a long time ago where all this stuff was kind of enacted and how it hasn't caught up and being updated to match the science.
0: Right. So, sorry, just to rewind. If you're being, if you're on treatment, if you're HIV positive and you're on treatment and you, you're undetectable, yeah. you can still
4: be prosecuted and go to jail. So you'll be prosecuted, yeah, based on the fact that you're HIV positive, right? Um, and then you'll probably, you know, it'll go through the process to get to the point where it's in court, and then right. they'll call in a infectious disease doctor as a special kind of consultant person to talk about undetectable, and then it should be thrown out, right? Right. That's the way it should That's, go. Yeah. But it shouldn't even get to that point. No. Right? You've just gone through, you know, a year of crap. Yeah. Yeah. What a waste of time and money and stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So
2: how many people are convicted a year? What does it take to be third in the world?
4: Um, um, I don't know how many precisely because yeah, we don't right. hear about all of them. But I know a lot of people that have been. So, yeah. it's So uh, the, there's a lot of space to go. So while you know, I paint it as a really rosy picture as to where we are now, Yes. You know, we're still at a point where people are kicked out of their homes because they're positive, they lose their jobs because they're positive. Um, I have people that are in New Zealand on student visas that have come in from overseas, um, so you can come in on a student visa as a positive person and learn and then when you decide to stay and apply for a work permit, you get denied because you're HIV positive.
2: Is it legal to do that?
4: Yeah, because because um, of the economic burden of HIV, because it costs a lot in terms of medications and treatments and all these things, which is, again, his, is mainly historical mm. okay. when you're accessing your health systems fairly heavily. Now it's just a one pill a day kind of thing.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, and so they get kicked out. And a lot of these people would have picked it up here because they would have come over as an international student, not been given the education yeah. when they arrived, weren't given the education when they were at home um, and weren't out at home. Mm. So they've come here, it's all party time, I can do whatever I want. I jump onto an app, I meet some people and hook up and, you know, have a great time because I'm young and pretty and horny. Um, (laughs) And then I I can't access PrEP because it's not funded for me Mm.
3: because I'm a student. Mm. And
4: then I pick up HIV and then I'm sent home to my home country now as an out HIV positive person. Wow. And my life is going to turn to shit. And there's no responsibility for it.
2: Oh, so the HIV drugs are available for... HIV positive drugs are available for everybody, regardless of your residency. But PrEP
4: is not. not. It's only available to residents. Mm. Okay. And meanwhile, everybody's shifting away from condoms because we've got undetectable and we've got PrEP as other alternatives. But other people can't access it as easily. And if it's your prevention tool, you should be making it available to everybody. Yes. Right? Mm. So... There's lots of so while we're in a, we're in a really good space in terms of where we've got to, the rest of the rules and procedures and policies and education haven't caught up to mm. that space. Mm. Yeah, because it is moving really quickly. I can Just, say it's really
0: fast moving, right? It seems yeah. like bureaucracy is always slower to change, right? But
4: yeah, um, and pretty much over the last two years, this has all kind of changed fairly dramatically. Yeah, and it's. We're moving into a space where it's just actually really hard to negotiate consent in this space as well, because before it was a condom, right? I can see it, I yes. can feel it, so I know it's there, right? Whereas now we have things like prep and undetectable. How do I negotiate that if I don't know what that is? Yeah, mm. and my choice is a condom. How do I negotiate that safety? Mm. So it's, it's it's very much a changing landscape, and you know, while we at the moment we don't even talk about gay sex in schools. How are we going to talk about those nuances and complexities? Yes. Yeah.
2: I guess I'm interested too, just as we're coming to wrap up, we need to unpack (laughs) it. No, No, this is so juicy. Um, Is I want to ask you what the HIV negative community can do, which is myself, and I'm assuming you, Tim. I'm assuming as well. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, We should get tested. Um, uh, What we can do to ally, to support reducing stigma in the HIV positive community and for anybody who's listening who's HIV negative?
4: Um, Well, A, get tested, know your status is the first thing because it it means you're actually informed about it. Mm. Um, Understanding like what we've learned today around undetectable, what that means Mm. is really being just knowing that it's actually, there is no risk to it, but being supportive of people. And that's why I always talk about the journey. So while if you know somebody who's, Living with HIV, usually their journey is really good. Um, but for them to open up and they can tell you what they need to tell you uh, as to where they need help or support or where they just need to talk to somebody. Mm. And I think, you know, when I came to Auckland five years ago and I took over this job at this uh, Buddy Positive, um, I would go out to parties with lots of other gay men and I would know lots of people there that were living with HIV, but they'd never talked to each other and they didn't know and they all felt that they were alone because they couldn't, because they didn't disclose. And we, I know there was a couple that were sharing a flat together and they were both positive, but they didn't know the other was positive and you can't disclose that status. But what happens is you get really isolated and lonely and because you don't feel you can talk to anybody about it. Whereas if you're open about it and willing to be educated and to have conversations with people, then if they know that, they know they can reach out and they won't be judged and they won't be shamed and they won't be stigmatized. And it's all good, right? mm. Mm. and I think that's more just about being informed. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, if you're aware, when people do reach out, they know that they'll be receive a kind word back. Essentially, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And if anyone
0: of any orientation is at all in any doubt, what's the first thing that they should do uh, if they think they if
4: they think they're positive or Um, I tell people, so we get lots of people that come in because they've done something and they're afraid that they've picked up HIV. And so they're all freaked out and they need to get tested now because they did something two weeks ago. Right. Um, I try to get people to move away from that because that just breeds fear and anxiety and what I try to get people to do is to test regularly test a regular test which becomes a habit becomes a habit so you may have done something that may have put you at risk that you may not remember because you were drunk or something Um, so just get tested regularly because HIV doesn't move quickly Uh, same as syphilis syphilis doesn't move quickly Um, it's infectious and so it's important that you get tested regularly for it to make sure that if you have picked it up we can treat it and get it under control Mm -hmm. Um, but usually not to get freaked out over, over one act or something. Yeah, yeah or over yeah. a blowjob. Because yeah. then there's usually a lot of blame and judgment as well mm. with the person that you did it with, um, and that becomes really damaging for you and for the other person. Especially if there is no risk, right? Because it's just judgment, right, yeah, and yeah. stigma, um, and you're doing it based on character evaluations rather than actual discussion. Um, so I try to move away from doing incident-based stuff. Yeah, because it just it creates too much stress. And so if, just put it in your calendar and go yeah. how often? Uh, so if you're having lots of casual partners all the time, they may come in every three months, um, which you know, that's not everybody. I mean, lots of casual partners. Yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, maybe six months or once a year. Yeah. Mm. And just do a sort of regular kind of checkup thing. And that way you're being responsible and you'll take control. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I try to get people to do.
0: Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but we should wrap it up there and say yep. thank you so much for your time. No, it's been welcome. such a pleasure. Yeah, yeah and um, we hope to have you back yeah. many more times to, to deep dive into many other places yeah. with you. The sure.
0: evolution of the positive sperm bank. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Yes. That's
4: when yes. we get our first conception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh my God, God, really our first me. baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Let's wrap Thanks. It <laughs>
2: I hope you folks enjoyed that podcast. Since recording that podcast, one of these hosts has since used the sperm positive bank. I won't say which one, <laughs> <laughs> and has and has fallen pregnant with um, one of two children to be born in twenty twenty one with an HIV positive donor. So it was life changing to talk to Mark it sure and. Was. Um, and what incredible work they are doing. Um, So if you are interested at all in in the work that Mark Fisher um, is doing in Aotearoa, the best place to look is www.bodypositive.org.nz, and that's for um, all of the chemsex workshops and and all of the um, things that they provide to the community. If you're specifically interested in that um, HIV-positive sperm bank, uh, then go to www.spermpositive.org
0: yes which is exactly what you did what an amazing little roundup to this uh oh, this episode
2: i did not expect <laughs> when speaking to mark that i would be i would be pregnant with an with a um, child from an HIV positive donor but it's been amazing and um and i'm so grateful to him for that work because it it changed it changed mine and my partner's trajectory enormously so um as you know look we are just kicking off this podcast i and what a kickoff it's been We've already got some amazing other interviews And I really recommend that you check out our other podcasts Around um, porn masculinity And anti-shame uh, Asians and sex The future of sex ed- uh, Indigenous sexuality Yeah, we've got such a a juicy range for y'all. So um, we would also really love to hear from you, the audience, because we want to hear your love. We want to hear your criticism. We want to know what you thought about these podcasts, the topics you want covered, the people you think we should be talking to. So just send us a simple check-in to hello at sexandspace.com. We want your emails, your pictures, your voice recordings, anything else. Um, And we are excited to feature those in upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M.
0: Yes, I'm going get used to saying that one day. Um, also, what would be amazing, if you enjoyed this podcast and had some spare clicks to go around, then leaving us a five-star rating or a uh, review on Apple Podcasts would be totally amazing. Um, they help heaps and we'll be shouting them out on future episodes when we get enough. Uh, So please keep them awesome. Um, Massive thanks to all our guests, uh, the good folks at Factory Studios, the team at String Theory for the support, uh, to Andrew, Tanya, Brandon, David and Richard for their amazing voices. Thanks to my blossoming (laughs) co-host. Yes, Holly, Glowing. (laughs) And thank you for you guys for making it all the way to the end. Join us next week.
2: Bye. Bye. (laughs) And the baby says bye, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you found some of this material a little challenging, keep coming back and we'll make it really
3: challenging.